Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your competitive host, Robert J. Marks. We're talking today to Sal Cordova, who made bucks card counting in Vegas. He's sharing his uh, insight into the world of gambling, and it's it's just been a fascinating trip, but we want to talk about it a little bit more. Have you ever taken advantage of your skills in betting with other people? Yes, team play. Oh, team, team play. play. But this is a team play at a casino. Yes. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. I, w- I want to tell you one of, one of the great examples. I, I want to tell you a way to be honest and always win in a lottery. Would you like to know? I would like to know. Okay. I've never this heard of that. This is where you're in a situation where they collect ballots and they put them in a hopper and turn the hopper and they invite somebody up and they reach in and they pull out a uh, pull out a winner. Like a raffle. Like a raffle. That's exactly right. Uh, the way that you increase this, and I learned this, by the way, from my sweet wife who doesn't have a dishonest bone in her body, but you take your entry and you crumple it up so that it's crumpled up in all of these other flat entries, and that gives it more volume, and you get a better space. You get more space in which to draw. And I'll tell you a true story. Have you ever heard of Hugh Ross? Yes. Okay, Hugh Ross, a great Christian man, great apologist, a great cosmologist. He visited Baylor, Mm. and he says, I'm going to have a drawing for my DVD. He had a new DVD that he was putting out. And he says, I'm going to send around these cards. And they were like index cards. And what he wanted was to collect some emails and stuff in order to increase his email list and things like that. And so you filled it out and uh, you handed it back in. So I was sitting with my wife and my brother. And uh, I elbowed my wife and said, fold it up. So we folded it up like an accordion, okay? Uh, and uh, we handed it back in, and my wife did too. And I asked my brother to do it, and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> he, felt, he felt dishonest. So um, anyway, it was not put in a hopper. Rather, Hugh Ross took all of the cards, uh, kind of shuffled them, and then he held them in his left hand. He reached down with his right hand and grabbed a place where it was convenient and put the card up. And then the next card was the winner. Guess which one he chose? Me and I was the host, and everybody said uh, said this is this is fake. You know, Marx's is, <laughs> Marx's is hosted Ross, but I got his DVD, and then he uh, he put my card aside, and then he uh, he shuffled them again, and he did the same thing, and he chose my wife's card. <laughs> true story, true story. And so he he looked at it, and he said, Ross is a very smart guy, and he looked at it, and he said, you know, there's something wrong here. And so he put that one aside, and he chose the next one, which was my brother. <laughs> so that, that that's a true story, and that, that's hilarious. So that's how to cheat oh, at, at, wow. at raffles. Oh, I see. The, the entire idea is to get the volume of your entry bigger so that you have a bigger chance. I learned the following interesting story from Bill Dembski. Uh, it's, it's from a book called uh, The Broken Dice by Ivor Eklund, E-K-E-L-A-N-D. And it turned out the kings of Norway and Sweden back in the Middle Ages, they were having this this fight to determine the ownership of the island of Hissing, H-I-S-I-N-G. Uh, it was a settlement that had alternately belonged to both countries. And you know how they were going to do it? Instead of fighting a war, they were going to they were going to roll die. Wow. And so uh, thereupon, King Olaf, king of Norway, cast the die, and one six shows on one of them. Uh, 
I'm sorry, no, it wasn't King Olaf. It was the other king. Anyway, that that's not important. But he threw one of them through the die, and it got a 12. And the only way that it could have progressed, according to the way we think about it, is that King Olaf had to also draw a 12. But this was in the Middle Ages. The dice were probably made of clay. And Olaf took the dice, and he threw them, and one of the dice broke in two. And so he had a six on one, and the other one he had a four and a three. So he got 13, and so he declared himself the winner. So what he did, and this is this is one of the ways to, uh, to win in such situations, is to take the assumption of uniformity of results and go in and game it some way in order that it's advantageous to you. Breaking the die was advantageous to King Olaf, and crumpling up my entry for the sweepstakes was a way that I destroyed the uniformity assumption of, of the lottery. So anyway, those are some things you can take with you since and add them to your arsenal. Yes. For uh, for 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 future for future use. Now there have been a, a few movies made about card counting. One is Twenty One with Kevin Spacey. If I remember the movie right, it's been a long time since I've seen it. If I remember the movie right, he was a professor and he was training some people on how to card count. He had discovered. How yes. To card. Do you, have you are you familiar with the movie? Yes, and it's. It's loosely based on bringing the house down. There is a true story where the professor, actually, there might have been a manager, but there's some MIT guys. And I think that they formed a corporation called Strategic Investments. Oh, okay. And they pulled a, a, a large, a substantial amount of money. They got people from MIT and also Harvard School of Business to be card counters, and they'd had the bankroll. So, so the idea is... One, if you have numerous people betting smaller, uh, the law of large numbers helps you. Again, the, the Kelly criterion applying it. Yes. But it was also to disguise disguise their, their betting patterns. So that was one. Oh, oh so yeah. that they were, they were more stealth in what they did. Yeah. Oh, this was clever. Uh, it was the big player model. And so what would happen is you'd have some guy who would sit at the table and his job was to count. And when, when the count was very high, when the shoe was hot, he would signal that the shoe was hot. So you have this, these big card, you know, this is, these are actually nice multi-deck shoes. And so when the shoe was hot, they're all the, it was loaded. And, and so this big player that would be looking for the signals would walk around and he would see it. And it's like, wow. And, and so, you know, you have the little, you have the card counter sitting there. And he's not winning anything. He gets up and Maybe it, look, he's it betting looks like 25, he's... Maybe betting 25, okay. And then so the big player comes in and just throws a $20,000 bet. <laughs> because he's new, there's no track record of what he bets. And so they think, oh, this could right, be Right, right. He just, he just wandered in the table. He, again, you have to be a good actor, but he'd wander in the table and just said, oh, you know, and if he's a good actor, he'll just be throwing all this money. And, and you know, the law of large numbers would start, you'd have to do this process quite a bit. But uh, it started to rake in the money, and so they kind of avoided the problem of surveillance at one level because what they would do would be focusing on the guy that was just sitting there the whole time, and that was one form of team play. Now, have you ever participated in team play? Not at that scale. Not at that scale. So because I was a marked man, I had a female team player, and I would be signaling to her. Now, is this when you were dressed up as a pimp and she was, <laughs> she was one of yes. your Yes. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> 
<laughs> okay, okay. So here comes the pimpedest girl. Okay, so. Okay, and there there are other advantages to that because you know surveillance cameras are from the top. Yeah. And not that I ever got her to do this, but well, if you were I a pimp, you had a big hat, right? Well, so. well, ideally, you would have one that uh, would like to kind of like uh, have her a very low cut dress, and you hope that the surveillance guys would be male. Distracted? Are you serious? There's lots of psychology in this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And so one time uh, I was at a a table once, and this woman that was practically showing really too much. It was the talk of the pit bosses, you know, especially the female pit bosses. Like, did you see that girl sitting there? And I was like, hey, you know, I could just kind of just blast away and I'd be the invisible man. Uh-huh. And I was just like, this is great, you know. Really? So she, it was like a magician and she was your distraction. Oh, yeah. I, was, I didn't worry about being surveilled. So sometimes if you're a card counter, you don't want to... You don't want to display your skill level. Yeah. So sometimes you deliberately not play to your full maximum just gotcha. because you didn't, uh, you know, like the guy playing at his full maximum to go be betting from five to $1,500 and like, it's going to be so obvious you're skilled. Yeah. And so sometimes you tried not to, to, to be that way. So I, I had the female partner there and usually, okay, so I'm an Asian male. I look scholarly. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be target. She looked like, uh, you know, um, just like an ordinary person. And I just kind of, I'd signal her discreetly. I I was trying to remember. um, Oh, yeah, it would be a verbal cue. I would just, depending on what I would say, she'd know to raise or or lower her bets. Oh, was she playing simultaneously with you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't one after the other, like in in the Kevin Kevin Spacey movie. Right, that's the big player model, right. Gotcha. That's the what model? That's the big player. That's big player. The, model. So there's a book called The Big Player by yeah. Kenny Ooston, and Ooston was also a, he uh, was the executive of the Pacific. How do you spell that? U S T O N. U S T O N. Okay. And he wrote the book. He was a uh, he was an executive of the Pacific Stock Exchange. So there again, you have that that connection to the what we call the real casino, which is the stock market versus the brick and mortar. And, and so he he was the one that started the big player model. And then the MIT team started to copy it. But how did they know that she wasn't card counting if she were if you were sitting at the same place? Um, they would eventually, they'd eventually figure it out. But there, a woman is usually I know this sounds so sexist, but she's usually not suspected of card counting. Uh, seriously? Yeah, okay. because yeah. women are known to be intuitive, and most of most of the card counters are almost dominantly male. Ah. So she didn't fit the demographic profile. Yes. Interesting. So, so yeah, I'd be I'd be signaling her, and it, it was fun because then you know I I didn't worry about we never got they never got her on it. So that but was but they my, got you. Oh, they got me as a solo player. So yeah, so I, you, you, I I didn't get to have that partner very often, but it was fun. Isn't that interesting? and there was also there's also the we did this with craps where uh, they have like the pass line and then they have the don't bet. And they basically negate each other unless the dice were rolled like a 12. But the idea is you limited variance, even yeah. though it was a negative game, but you had you had so little variance. So I'd play like the boy from the hood, and she's the sophisticated. Variance, by the way, you can, you can say that as risk, right? The bigger the variance, the bigger the risk. The volat- It's volatility, okay. you might say. But we had, ended up having very st- stable, stable expectation. You know, the expectation was very much in line with the 
you know, just uh, the variance is very, very little. But the trick was we had all these marketing coupons. And so we would get, we would get, the marketing coupons would be much larger than our disadvantage. And so that was one of the play, the advantage plays we would use. And so I, I you know, I, that's where I was getting these 20% loss rebates, but we weren't able to, you know, those are toward the ends of my casino days. I see. You know, there, there was another movie about card counting called Rounders with Matt Damon and Edward Norton. And they got caught card counting and some thugs took them out in the back and beat them up. Did you ever get beat up or do you know of anybody that got beat up? Does that happen or is that pure fiction? It doesn't happen this much in in this day and age. This now, much. Now, you, you, you left the door open for it possibly I haven't, happening. I haven't known of anyone uh, uh, because like in Las Vegas, because the uh, of all the surveillance cameras, I, I've not heard. And they don't need to, you know, uh, they, they don't need to hurt anyone. They just banned them from the casinos now with facial recognition. Right. They could just make sure they never come through the doors. Um, so that's how they, they're able to deal with them. Uh, but in the old days when the mob owned the uh, casinos. Oh, this was be like in the 30s and 40s? and Even even and in 50s. the early 60s. Early 60s. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you did not want to be winning too much or, you know... Uh, They'd be on to you if you were doing something. Uh, they they could beat you up then. Uh-huh. Now the one time, one incident I know of Kenny Ustin getting beat up. It, it was. Did you mention him before? Kenny yeah, just Ustin? now. He's the big player. The oh, author, the big, big player, player. Yes. Okay. Thank you. It was when he was insulting a dealer, and the mob actually took offense to that. Oh. And they 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 beat him up for that. Okay, but not for not for card counting. Not for card counting. Okay. I'm sorry. I keep using the word cheating. If you play the game by the rules, you're not cheating. You're an advantage player. You're an advantage, advantage player. player. Okay. Now, I will tell you this. I can't speak for the other countries, how the casinos are run there. Ah. Like there's some places that are nice to, to play on, but you don't want to uh, – you may not want to be there because you don't know how you'll be treated. I do know – I've heard instances like some of these cruise, uh, these boats, these gambling boats that go out. <laughs> the captain is the the law yeah. out in the sea, and I heard that they'll threaten to throw you overboard. <laughs> so it's like the old pirate movies. You got to walk the plank. <laughs> you got to walk the plank, or they're keel haul you. Have you ever and, heard and, of that? They they take you and they put you on one side of the boat and drag you under the boat to the other side. So, so one advantage player to boat. I love playing, and I made money on that boat. Now I'm kind of realizing I was I was kind of in danger there. Was that they, they've discovered this guy was an advantage player? They may have flyered him, meaning that's another term there. Uh, they circulated his photos. It got to the to the surveillance team. So they have sometimes these things where you're flyered. They'll go through this photo album. Say, okay, if you see this guy, he's 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 a he's a bad guy. Well, actually, we tend to think of ourselves as good guys. But anyway, he won a lot of money, and they said, no, we, we determined you're a card counter. We're going to take all your winnings and all your chips. Oh, and boy. he protested, and the captain said, you protest, we're going to throw you overboard. Seriously. So they took all of his money that he won legally, but because they took the money when he was out in the open ocean. So beyond, it's international law, and probably under, a law of their own. Right. A law of their own. He got back there. He didn't have any of his money. So that was one example of, you know, yeah, kind of using force of violence against a patron. 
Now, you, both you and I are, are Christians. We're followers of Christ. You did some consulting on another card-counting movie called Holy Rollers, which was about Christians that card-counted. Could yes. you give us the first of all, kind of a summary of the documentary Holy Rollers, and then your involvement and uh, whatever? Well, actually, else you want I wasn't a consultant. I was part of the crowdfunding donors. And so oh, they, you were a donor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, well, the reason I know that you're listed on the end credits. <laughs> yes. I, I saw the end credits and I said, Sal Cordova, I know the guy. Okay. So I knew immediately that, yeah, you had something well, to I do was with only, it. Well, I was only, I put my first and last name, but they only put my first name. So I'm amazed that you're watching the credits and you saw my name and you oh, knew it was me. I was like, wow. I was swore I saw your entire name. You don't think so? I, well, I, the, the version of the of the DVD I had only had my first name, and I was kind of disappointed because I was I was kind of proud. You, you of You were kind of yeah, proud of it. Okay, t- tell us, tell us. First of all, tell us what the movie was about, and then your involvement. It's about again one of the most successful card counting teams, uh, blackjack teams. They took the casinos for multi millions of dollars. Now they didn't use the big player model. They just what they would do is they would just send players in there with a lot of cash. They'd be throwing down these $10,000 bets or whatever. And uh, if they got burned out and got kicked out, so be it. Then, you know, they'd bring another way. It was a different style of play. It was just kind of, yeah, we'll just keep playing until they kick us out type thing. But the the idea was they're going to use the law of large numbers. But to have a team like that to be successful, they had to be very honest because you're going to give a guy $100,000, you expect him to report that if he really lost $100,000 versus just pocketing it, he was being honorable. And that's why the team was so effective, because everyone trusted each other and they were honest. Now, these were, to complete the story and why, why, why they call them holy rollers, they were missionaries to Seattle, I believe. Wasn't it Seattle? They were pastors and elders. Pastors and elders. And Typically, they were on. Well, typically, you have to work a second job for many ministry positions, yeah. and so I think that they figured, well, let's not work a second job and go out and toil. Let's go to Vegas and card count, and that's a way that they earn their money. Is that right? Exactly. And again, it's the the exponential law. It's they're able to to leverage that. So they didn't start out with a lot of money, but because they kept reinvesting. The bank, the collective bankroll got bigger and bigger and bigger till the point they were, I think their total winnings at the time, and this was some years ago, was three and a half million dollars. In today's dollars, would that be like ten million? Wow! And they were called. Do you know what they started with? The head of the team probably had seven hundred dollars. <laughs> oh, jeez! So, <laughs> boy, that yeah. is the power of the exponential. Uh, now he exponential was really lucky order. because that's kind of a smallish bankroll, but he, you know, I think, I think he. I think his story was he was on food stamps at the time, and that was the only thing he could do. And he had had a baby to feed. And plus, he had a Christian ministry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So they found me, and I was just very moved by the story because I, I, I'm a Christian. And it's really funny that these the Christians have had a long history in advantage play, partly because I think it's the discipline of following the book. And to be a good, successful gambler, you want to follow rules and play by the book, so to speak. Sure, so you want to Christ- be you want to be honest, right? Well, you know the Christ- Christian tradition. Our book is the Bible. Yeah, but that form of discipline extends to other 
areas of life. You you play by the rules and you're you're disciplined. And we're taught you, to submit to authority, and that's yes, what following the rules. Following is the rules, part, part of submitting to authority. So if the computer says this is the optimal mathematical play, you do it. You don't, you know, and 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 so it it was that mindset. You also live a clean life. You don't drink. And and the idea, really, honestly, you're, you don't gamble. Meaning, if you play by the rules, you're not you're not getting a thrill out of throwing the money in there and kind of taking the risk. Yeah, you're there because it's a job. You're doing this for the honor and glory of God. Just like Father Fahey of repeat that story. It's been it's been a few oh yeah, years. Father Fahey was a Catholic priest. He was an MIT graduate in economics, and he taught mathematics and economics. And always his last class that was so popular, he would say, "I'd." Okay, now I'm going to teach you how to card count. And he he had <laughs> you know being priest. being oh, a Catholic God. priest, you have a vow of chastity and poverty, and so he gave all his winnings away, and he was able to get computers for a particular school that he was a part of, uh, part of the athletic facility in the library. So Christians have done well. I mentioned in one of the episodes Keith Keith Taft, yes, who had the wearable computer. He was a Christian. And 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 there are other Christians like Kevin Blackwood, and and, and others. It's I I don't know why that is, but uh, and then you have the Holy Rollers and their story. So um, it's a great documentary, by the way. I would really recommend it. Oh yeah, they, they, they oh, do yeah. it so well. Oh yeah, and I could identify with these people. I mean, they're they're moral issues that you deal with. It's like, is this the right thing to do? And and, and you know, it's stuff that I I dealt with, but. For some of us, we felt like we're hurting the casinos and they're the bad guys. Well, they are the bad guys. And also, I think one of the people on Holy Rollers said, you know, the casinos say, come in, have fun, get rich. But if you go in, you have fun and you get rich, they kick you out, <laughs> right? Uh, even even by their own rules. And that just isn't consistent. So, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I've been at a casino once and I went in and it struck me. All of these people were figuring out ways... Uh, to game the system. And some of them were so stupid. One guy was there pumping, uh, I don't know if it was quarters or tokens or whatever, into a machine. And every time he did it, he pulled the one-armed bandit. And then he put his he put his hand across the screen like that would increase his uh, chances of winning. And it was clear he was doing that for some reason. That's and you know that these... The, superstitions. The, yeah, yeah, you know that these things have to happen all the time at these places. Well, one thing that this influenced me on is, um, you know, there's a theological thing called Pascal's wager. And yes. I began to, I began to vision, I began to conceive of life this way, you know, at a personal level. And then also I realized everyday life also has, you're, you're wagering on things where you have incomplete information and you're, it's kind of the, the benefit to cost, the, the reward to risk ratios. Yeah. And I began to view things very differently in, in other realms of my personal life uh, because I'd done this kind of semi-professionally. And, and it did affect the way I looked at the world and, and how to live my everyday life and, and how to invest time, et cetera, and, and, and money and resources and things. I, I would say it affected my personal life in a very positive way. Ironically. Pascal's wager, by the way, is is incredible. Yeah. Blaise Pascal, by the way, was the guy that, well, the metric unit for pressure is named after Pascal. Pascal. He invented one of the first computers called the Pascaline, 
ah. which his which his father his his father was an accounting or something like that. So he invented that and marketed it. Uh, that's the reason there was a computer language called Pascal. Pascal, yeah, Pascal. I could actually program in that. Oh, you do <laughs> program away, in Pascal. Yeah, I'm giving away my age here now. I used I used to program in Pascal. That was I think. That and basic was my first language. Pascal is my second. Well, the other thing he did with Fermat was create the world of probability. There's a famous book called the um, the Unfinished Game, and it's a series of letters between the great mathematician Fermat and Pascal going back and forth trying to figure out. This is not complete, but it's like somebody played the World Series, and it's the best of seven games. But they played five games, and Team A won three games, Team B won two games, but they all got killed in a plane crash. The winner was to get a million dollars. So the question is, how is that million dollars to be divided up? So that was the unfinished game. And they, they, they put these letters back and forth and found and came up with probability. And in a few years, they had things like actuaries. They had insurance because people could, could forecast the future in a probabilistic sense. And it's so obvious to, to us now. But back then, uh, you know, the idea of talking about the future was just kind of ridiculous until Pascal and Fermat did it. And I would add one other thing. So, so it was Pascal of Pascal's wager that actually formulated a lot of the gambling stuff. So like the concept of expected value, that was Pascal. That was Pascal. Which now, you know, it reverberated through all of physics because a lot of quantum mechanics is expressed in terms of expected value. You'll just see that the idea of notion of expected value. So this is kind of very interesting how all this... All this goes you know, together. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But Pascal had, I guess, what a, a Baptist would call a born-again experience. In fact, on his deathbed, they found some mm. letters on him. Have you heard this? Uh, it was called The Night of Fire, and where he be he became a Christian. He recognized who Christ was and decided to follow him, and he wrote down a lot of his feelings from The Night of Fire, and they're preserved for history. We can go back and read them. So from that point on, he spent all of his time in apologetics. Yeah. For example, in uh, doing Pascal's wager, and just uh, just an astonishing man, and he died when he was thirty nine. Un unbelievable, yeah. yeah. What the what? contributions? Yeah. So the you know theology wise, and then his contributions to mathematics, and then which now led to just big breakthroughs in physics, and then it comes back full circle. It got used in casinos, which is where it started. <laughs> yeah, the probability that Fermat and Pascal. Well, let's let's get back to the topic. Uh, final question: Somebody hearing this might go, you know, I want to learn card counting and I want to go out and make big bucks. Uh, do you have any advice for those sort of people? I'd say don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, your time is better spent elsewhere. But if you just love it for the game, just get on a computer simulator and pretend you have. Because in a computer simulator, you could you could bet a million dollars and nobody cares. Nobody cares, yeah. and you could feel. So that's 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 the advice I would give. There 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 are a lot of gambles in life. If you really like gambling, which I hope you don't, but there are plenty of places you can take risks. And so I would say take risks for the things that are of value in your life, like the stock market. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I can't tell you where to take risks, but for for me, take risks for good causes. Take risks for other people to to care for them. That's that's where I, you know, if I had to do it all over again, that's where I would say, okay, you know, I might give money to this charity or that charity, and 
you know, could be squandered. But that that's a worthy risk. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of, you know, uh, there might be career decisions to, 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 to take a risk. But again, if you feel that the outcome might outweigh your potential losses, then take take the risk. Are you ever going to card count again? I haven't since I got kicked out. <laughs> since you got kicked so, out. So I don't know. But you just got but, kicked out of one place. There's lots of casinos. You could but I'm on the SIN network now. The oh, surveillance information. Is that right? Oh, okay. yeah. My, so my, you, you've been blackballed. I, I, <laughs> Oh, I'd have to sneak in in my pimp outfit if I wanted to do that. You know? <laughs> no, you so. need something else. It's out there now that you dress up as a pimp. So thank you, Sal. This has, oh, been, this has been a great time. We've been talking to uh, Sal Cordova. Uh, Sal has degrees in mathematics, computer science, electrical engineering, has an MS in applied physics from Johns Hopkins. I think your other degrees were from George Mason, is that yes. right? And he's also done NIH um, work in, in biology. And he uh, he knows a lot about gambling and card counting. So thank you for sharing this with us. We appreciate it. So until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute. 